This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Call 131 806 for real Aussie energy. And Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world. And there's just so much down every hidden laneway to discover. And you're walking on history. Wherever you go, there'll be some monument or beautiful church or incredible old Roman ruin just waiting for you to have a look at. One observer described it as a Game of Thrones (laughs) role-playing. Ministers (laughs) taking sides, ministers lobbying, late-night shenanigans and, and up and down corridors at Westminster, everybody trying to work out who's who in the zoo. But we mainly train because we wanted to both look out the window and I can't navigate. It's, it's much really better. bad for relationships. Oh, marital stress through the roof oh. one day when the GPS was just went off chops. Bean gate. Bean gate. Bean gate that, in that's Hawksburn. That's what happens Ooh. in Hawksburn. <laughs> Apparently it's been an absolute storm in a D cup. Scandal. Scandal. Doesn't matter that it's 70s. No. It's still good. <laughs> Don't shoot the messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Don't Shoot the Messenger. This is episode 226. I'm Corrie Perkin, minus my potting partner, Caroline Wilson, this week, who is in Sweden for her daughter's wedding. But I am joyfully joined by a friend of the pod, queen of the curios, Anna from the op shop, Anna Barry. Good morning. Corrie. Hi, Jane. She's back, Miss Jane. Anna, it's great to see you. You have had an overseas holiday, which went for a rather long time, I I jealously noticed on Instagram. I've been very fortunate and it was way too long, really, but fun. Well, it is worth pointing out that your trip you were supposed to take the year that you turned 60. I hate to mention how old you are, but hey, look, let's just be honest. (laughs) And of course, COVID got in the way as it has with so many people's birthdays and weddings and things. So good on you for taking the opportunity. It finally came to fruition, yes. (laughs) So Anna, while, um, while I've been spending June and July in Ballarat and more recently Geelong, you've been in Italy and Greece. Um, (laughs) No comparison. (laughs) Mm -mm, Lake Wendry or Lake Como, Mm, not sure. Um, So we want to hear about your travels in a min and including your three favourite places and your three unexpected highlights, because sometimes we go away and we discover things we never knew about. But first, a shout out to our podcast sponsors, Red Energy and Prince Wine Store. They are the best and they have been with us uh, for such a long time. So we are very grateful to them both. If it wasn't for them, we wouldn't be here. Speaking of Prince, of course, Miles Thompson from Prince Wine Store will be in shortly with a couple of French wines to celebrate Bastille Day. Anna has a couple of Rupert books to recommend. I have a new Netflix. And Jane, Miss Jane, has some notes, some housekeeping for us, Jane. We have an event coming up. Yeah, Corrie, we are so excited to be inviting everyone to come and join yourself and Caro. And I'll be there as well. I think we can get you along, Anna, as well. We are going to the movies, Corrie. We've had a couple of attempts at having a movie night. COVID got the better of us a couple of times in the last two years. So if you'd like to come to the movies with us, we are going to be watching Good Luck to You, Leo Grand, which you can tell me more about in a moment. This is on Tuesday, the 16th of August. So get there at 5pm and this is at the Palace Como in South Yarra. So look, you could come from work, catch public transport across, uh, 5.30 screening. You'll get to uh, hang out with us and see this film, which, Corrie, sounds like it is rather intriguing and especially for a woman of a particular age. Well, I think I think some blokes on the quiet might enjoy this one too. <laughs> so I've just seen the shorts. It stars Emma Thompson, uh, Anna and Jane, and we love Emma Thompson, didn't she stay? steal the scene, steal the show from Love Actually and so many other wonderful movies. But she is playing a woman who is our age, not yours, Jane, more like Anna and mine, who decides that she needs sex. She wants sex. I'm not sure whether her partner has died or she's divorced. I haven't got to that part of the shorts yet. But she hires a gigolo and I think a little romance might ensue there. So... (laughs) Stay tuned for that. We will be there. Good luck to you, Leo Grand and Potties. We would absolutely love to see you. As Jane said, send us an email, feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au and Janie will help you acquire tickets. And we'll put the link in the show notes. So if you just want to jump on there, follow the link and book your tickets, easy. Any troubles, just email me. 
Brilliant. Um, now, just a couple of things. To Sarah Jackson, thank you for asking us what was the history podcast I mentioned a couple of weeks ago. It's the one with British historians Dom and Tom. Anna, you'd love this because you love history. Will Wilson, Caro's brother, put me onto this. It's called The Rest is History. Oh, I've never heard of it. It's great. You would love it. They are hilarious, these two blokes, but they're also eminent scholars in their particular English? fields. It's English, yeah, and there's a lot of shortling. They did a, they did a two-part or three-part series on Australian prime ministers and they were slightly of the colonial <laughs> looking down upon us and how curious people like Bob Hawke were saying you can all... You know, if your boss sacks you, he's a mug. So, um, Sarah, um, Jane and I, uh, in in a couple of weeks, will actually record a little bonus episode on podcasts we love. Uh, Caro, it's not Caro's preferred choice of media, so we thought while the cat's away, we might just do a little rundown of podcasts that Jane and I have loved. A um, couple of uh, things in the mailbag from Karen Duffus. Uh, hi, Corrie and Caro. Loved the split too and reminded me of recently watching Unforgetten with Nicola Walker, a series tracing unsolved murders and with a continuing storyline of Detective Cassie and her sidekick Sonny's personal lives. It does have the Nicholas trademark looking at the camera. <laughs> now, uh, Anna, while you've been away, we've been watching the final series of The Split. We talked about it last week. Can you remember it? It's I'll, the marriage breakdown. Is the it fa- the, the family of yeah, lawyers, yeah, the women? Yes, the, and the, the family Defoe. Is it back on? For final series. What channel? Um, well, you can get it, catch it on ABC iView, but it is playing in real time at the moment. But if you want to just binge like Carol and I did, it's ABC iView. Oh. So that's the tip. And Karen obviously enjoyed it as well. And from Yvette C., who says, I couldn't agree more with your, Ben Caro's, opinion of Nick Kyrgios. He's an absolute disgrace. Oh, I always vowed to never watch him, but as the Australian Open, after watching the amazing win by Ash Barty, we decided to stay in the stadium to support Matthew Ebden and Max Purcell in the doubles <laughs> final against Kyrgios and Kokonakis. Not only is Nick an absolute tool, his supporters are all of the same mould. Their behaviour was appalling. So anyway, she goes on to, um, we won't go into that any further because we might be sued for defamation. <laughs> but Yvette, um, I hope Nick Curios's, uh I thought rather, rather um, noble speech, I would suggest, um, when he was the defeat, he was defeated in the final at Wimbledon the other night. I, I hope he's redeemed himself a little bit in your eyes, although by the tone of your email, possibly not. <laughs> Anna, on to international travel. Um, tell us where you went and tell us the differences, I suppose, in travelling when we all could do it three, four, five years ago to 2022. I think the two main things that I found, first of all, was that going to the airport now is completely stressful. It's chaotic. It's mental. It's like being at the MCG on grand final day. There's queues. People are frazzled about their bags. I mean, in Athens, they said, get to the airport five hours before. Like five hours. It's almost a working day. And, you know, we only had carry on and we'd done, you know, check in before. So all of that, I think, is really stressful. And I think there's a lot of anxiety. People are thinking, are my flights going to be cancelled? So that that has changed post-COVID. And also, uh, personally, I just feel we've got older. We haven't travelled for three years. I just wasn't match fit. I didn't have my groove on. It took me a while to get into the whole travel sort of psyche, you know? So like what sort of thing were you constantly checking where your passport was oh, like old people pa- do? Passport, frazzled about keys to apartments and Airbnbs, where's the map, how do you even read a map? I mean, for a while I thought, I'm just too old, I can't. I can't do it. And then I got my groove on and I was fine. But, you know, even the eating out, restaurants every night, you know, we've just sat on the sofa in our house for three years. We've been nowhere. So I really just wasn't match fit. But having said that, Europe is still Europe. They're post-COVID. They're rocketing. They want us back. Tourism is just all the go. So they've got no staff shortages or anything like that with hospitality. So it's go, go, go in Europe. So once you're there... And you're sorted. It's fabulous. Well, I was telling Caro the other day that Francesca and Charlie, uh, which is the reason I was in Ballarat for two weeks, they had invitations and they went to two weddings in Italy, back-to-back weddings, which was great for them. And Francesca said the biggest thing she noticed was the cost of travel. 
taxis, oh. Ubers, hire cars are through the roof. So they had a, they jagged somewhere in Puglia a ten euro um, a ten euro blow wave for the wedding. Goodness, so, ten euro. Yeah, so nothing was ten so, euro where so, I was. So five of the girls said, "Great, let's book it," and they hired the taxi. And the taxi was over a hundred euro just to get to the nearby village. Now I, I thought everything. I expected it to be expensive, and it was. And the Aussie dollars rubbish. And, you know, you're on holiday, so so, yes, we'll have the cocktail before dinner. Yes, we'll have the lovely local Italian wine. I thought it was really expensive. Greece, a little cheaper. Italy was through the roof. Well, you're talking to somebody, of course, who paid um, $45 a kilo for ginger the other day. Everything. Don't don't even think about having an iceberg lettuce at the moment, Anna. That's don't don't get me started on my grumpy. <laughs> Just telling you, that's where I'm at. I no. thought you might be grumpy today because your tigers are hanging on by their don't. claws into that eighth spot. <laughs> no, I, I'm so grumpy about the tigers. I'm I'm grumpy old woman about the tigers. And in fact, Cara rang from Amsterdam, and I thought, oh, she won't be ringing to say I'm here. She'll be ringing to say what the bloody hell went on. <laughs> Saturday afternoon. <laughs> oh goodness, what a what a weekend actually of footy. <laughs> so, what what are your observations coming back to Melbourne of of where we're at and where we've been? Because I feel like it has been a long five weeks. Maybe that's because I was looking under looking after three under five. I don't know. <laughs> I, I think but... <laughs> your granny ship could have uh, been a little tiring. I just, I mean, we left right at the end of May and we got back last Friday. So. I just came back and went, we are well and truly in the depth of winter. It is hello beanie in boots. That's all you're talking about. And I think the footy season suddenly got a whole lot more, you know, it's really intensified. So The business end of yeah. the season, Anna. <laughs> so it's footy, it's fashion, and people are just talking weather, weather and more weather. That's all people say to me. I've got nothing to say. I have done nothing. It's been completely boring and cold. People are also talking about flu and cold, don't you think? Mm. A lot of colds out Mm. there. But I think also the last two winters when we were in COVID, it was actually beautiful weather. Remember, it was sunny days. We all walked everywhere. This has been your proper winter, which has been good for our gardens. But no, I, I just think I just came back and went, hello, winter. So you and Chris focused predominantly on Italy because that was your birthday gift, yes. wasn't it? You wanted to go to Italy and you just wanted to completely immerse yourself. And I wanted to just look at every dusty old rock, every old ruin, do a bit of sort of archie, archaeological porn. So what was, the, what was the itinerary? Did you fly into Rome? We flew in. No, we flew. We actually flew to Malta first, which is in Italy, but then we went on to Sicily and worked our way up from Sicily right up to Rome. So you went to Calabria. We did oh. some Calabria. We met some mafia. Um, I'm lucky I'm still here. If Chris had had his way, God knows what we would have been invaggled with. But, you know, uh, it was quite an extraordinary But such trip. a beautiful, it looks like such a beautiful coastline. I've never been to Calabria, but I'm inspired because there was a fantastic travel article maybe about four years ago from a Guardian reporter who spent two weeks there in Calabria, just going from little fishing village to fishing village. Well, that's what Chris wants to do. He wants to go back and... Sounds wonderful. We went to one little village called actually Sheila, so that was pretty easy to say. And it was incredible. I mean, you literally... Everything was on the water. So you had the water lapping underneath your house where you're in with the nonna. We had three weddings when we were there. The bride just walked along the main street, you know, the gown just along with sort of fish scales and God knows what else was manking around. She stopped and had a cigarette at the local cafe we were at. Then the driver of the car arrived. He had a fag. I mean, everyone was smoking. It was just like step back into the 50s. It was fantastic. But no, it's a beautiful coastline. And then you've got the mountains as well. So you've got this incredible geography. Yeah, yeah. And the Mediterranean and, so and you, beautiful food. Were you on a train or were you? We did some trains. Because you can we actually did, train to Sicily, yeah, can't you? Yeah, we, we did water. that across yeah. the Straits of Medina. <clears throat> and, um, and then we got a car. But we mainly trained because we wanted to both look out the window. And I can't navigate. And I don't really like driving with Chris, so it's, it's much really better. bad for relationships. Oh, marital stress through the roof one oh. day when the GPS was just went off chops, and yeah. honestly, I just thought I hate this. I just yeah. wish I was on a magic carpet back at home. Even in Ballarat, I swore it's we, we call her Svetlana because for some reason mine has a slightly Russian accent, and we I swore it's Svetlana and. And I was taken to task by Harriet in the back seat. I forgot for a second the three kids were there. <laughs> no. So, so where did you? Where did the train take you then? Up to Naples, I presume. We or went the Amalfi, or we no, we didn't go to the Amalfi. We just we went. We did Calabria, and then we went to 
Palestrum, which has got the incredible archaeological ruins, then Naples, then Rome. So it was, and we spent a week in Sicily. So, no, it was fantastic. And then over to Greece. And then we flew to Greece, yes. Some beautiful island. A beautiful I'm island thinking. called Lefkada, yes, which was absolutely gorgeous. So, no, that was, Lefkada was probably one of my favourite spots on the holiday. So what were the three favourite places you'd have to say? Look, in a nutshell, I think for me, Rome always. It was the first place I ever went to on my first ever trip. And I remember being in the cab, looking out the window, seeing the Colosseum and just falling in love and just always had the lifelong love affair with Rome. So always Rome. I never care where I stay, what I do. This time we just walked everywhere. We walked around, the, you know, up and down the Tiber, through the Jewish Quarter, and it was just fantastic. Everywhere you turn, there's another fabulous fountain. Well, I agree. It's, it is my favourite city in the oh, world. Carol and I often discuss this, and I have discussions with my kids. Francesca always says, oh, but Paris is so... I go, yeah, but Rome is so easy to navigate by foot. You feel very safe as a woman, I think, which very is important. Very safe. And there's just so much down every hidden laneway to discover. And you're walking on history. Wherever you go, there'll be some monument or beautiful church or incredible old Roman ruin just waiting for you to have a look at. No, I absolutely love it. So Rome was my number one. And Syracuse in Sicily was my second. It had heaps of archaeological sites, which I love, Greek and Roman ruins, Caravaggio's on church walls. I mean, it was extraordinary. And then all of that clashing with the sort of groovy Dolce Gabbana sort of colourful vibe. And, you know, it's sort of gritty and chaotic. So, I, And I'd never been to Sicily. And I'd read the um, Delia Ephron books. So I really wanted to go. That was fabulous. And my third was um, the Greek island of Lefkada, in the Ionian Sea, so that incredible blue water without making people feel too jealous. And on the beaches, they had these beautiful, like, white sparkling limestone cliffs with the blue water. So I think the white sparkling limestone intensified the blue, which was all gorgeous. And that's where we met up with the gang and, you know, good humour, friendship, lots of lady petrol. It was fun. And you had a, a, a significant birthday for one of the mob, didn't you? We did have a significant I birthday. I spoke to his wife the other day. He said he had a, She said he had a wonderful time with you all. Oh, no, that was fantastic. I mean, I'd never sort of done a destination birthday, but it just happened that that's the way we rolled. Uh, his family were all there and it was really lovely, really And so lovely. what about the unexpected pleasures? I always think when you travel, they're, they're half the fun as well. You suddenly discover a museum or, or a shop or, or somewhere that you haven't been before been to before? Look, one of my unexpected pleasures, I, dra I said to Chris, we've got to go to Villa d'Este in Tivoli, you know, the um, the incredible Italianate Renaissance gardens with the fountains and the waterworks. And he was a bit, oh, I said, no, come on, we'll get the train. It'll be really good. And he he loved it. It was probably one of his best things we did on the trip. He couldn't believe it. He so many so many water fountains. Oh, <laughs> see, I love all that sort of stuff. And also, it was, I mean, we were in a heat wave, so that was cool. It was green and cool, whereas everything else was hot and dusty and rocky. So definitely Villa d'Este. I thought that was, and I've been before, but not for 30 years. So it had changed since I remembered it, but it was really good. And also Herculaneum near Pompeii. I'd never been. And that is, I mean, obviously Vesuvius, you know, weaved its magic over Herculaneum as well. But we went on a subterranean tour with an archaeologist on a newly discovered or they've just got into it theatre. So that was pretty incredible. Wow. Going underground, group of 10, you had um, you had to wear water gear, um, you know, those high-vis stuff glasses, it was hard hats. That was pretty amazing. And so what have they uncovered so They've far? They've uncovered a theatre. So it's, Like an amphitheatre? No, like a proper theatre where you, oh. people went and saw plays. So it had the Indoor. stage. Yeah, but, but obviously. Up underground, yeah. yeah. Under so amazing. So they oh. had, would have had statues of Hadrian all around the, the front. It was incredible. And it just, after 20 years of excavating, they'd just opened up and they only took tours of about eight people at a time. So luckily we got onto that. So that was really fun because you thought, oh my God, you know. <laughs> As you're saying this, you're reminding me of the old Forum Theatre. In, yeah. <laughs> and I remember going to see Sound of Music there with my grandmother who pointed, I'll never forget, and she pointed to the statues all around, I which were forum. all kind of mock yeah. Roman emperors. <laughs> just... <laughs> 
fucking toga, lots of togas. And she said, well, these are Roman gods. I thought, God, what are they doing here yeah. in the theatre? <laughs> in the forum. <laughs> Remember the forum? Um, didn't it have stars painted on yes, the ceiling? Yes, it did. Yeah. It was the best. It was the most fun. In fact, slightly scary if you were six or seven years old. No, totally. Um, And what was your third? My third, I mean, I know I'm doing a lot of archaeological chat, but my third was the archaeological site of Postrum, which Ah, is near Salerno, which I had never been to. And it's got the three, it's the home of three of the world's best preserved ancient Greek temples. And you can walk right up to them. So that was actually incredible. So we, we stayed the night there. So we went there in the day and you know, foofed around. And then we went back at night and they were all floodlit after dinner and a few wines. And that was just gorgeous too. So that was, you know, you just can't believe that they weren't bombed during the war or they haven't fallen into disrepute. It's just so surreal that they're just there. And in this place, which is not really much of a muchness, it's just a small town. Well, a note to our friend Cindy, back in the 90s when we were all as a group travelling, we were staying in uh, somewhere on the Amalfi and the decision... She, all she wanted to do was to go to Pystrom. Oh. And I thought, oh, that sounds interesting. And there was a bit of a vote, you know, go to lunch yeah, <laughs> and make it a long one or go and visit the ruins. And we voted for lunch. No. I've always regretted that no. we made that decision. Seriously, you, you... Cindy was almost in tears, I think. I know. As Chris had been before and he, he wanted to take me and it, was, it actually blew me away because you just... I mean, I think it must have suddenly... It must have originally been a port or something which has now been silted up, you know, over the eons. But it's just amazing just to see them. And you, I mean, I love all that stuff. I love Greek mythology. Well, so that is definitely going on the list. And Anna, during COVID, remember you enrolled in a course, an archaeological course mm-hmm. or a classics course? I did. I was it went, once. I, had I was to always do... very admiring of you doing that. <laughs> no, once I got to the first essay and there was a deadline. I, I don't know that I really went on with it, but I did do a lot of reading. And and I mean, I love I love Greek mythology. So this trip, after three years of sitting on the sofa in Melbourne. It was just fantastic to see it all because I had done a few online lectures with, do you know Academy Travel? Yeah, I've seen it before. They are, it's just, I mean, even just reading what they're lecturing about is just fascinating. Dot put me onto it. So I'd, I'd done quite a few Italian lectures with them. So it was great to actually get out the notes and think, oh, I'm going there. What a great tip for anybody who's planning travels. Oh, it's, and Academy they do everything travel. from Egypt. To, I mean, it's not just all Italian. They do, they do Islamic stuff. And they're actually for, it's part of Sydney Uni, and you can actually go on tours with them. I think Dot went to Iran with them on an archaeological tour, and it was incredible. Oh wow! So no, it's a really. I mean, GLT. I'm not just giving the plug, but it is a it's a really good um, good, you know, website to get onto. Well, while you were away, of course, um, it was the demise of Boris Johnson, which seemed to go on for two or three weeks. Uh, eventually, he fell on his sword last week. I wonder, did did the news of Boris's shenanigans hit you when you were overseas? Do you know what? It didn't hit me overseas because I barely looked at a news site. I know that slack. I checked the tags when they were on. But other than that, I just thought I'm on holiday. But Boris's, the news of Boris's demise hit me on the aeroplane home. He was all over the media. So what else do you do when you're in the tin can for 13 hours? But watch Boris's demise. But there wasn't enough backstory. You know, I wanted more about his bad behaviour you know the parties, the shenanigans, the the spoiled brat. You well, know. there was a there was a really interesting. In fact, people can access it via, via the ABC pod, um, podcast app. Uh, Philip Adams last night. So we're recording this on Tuesday. So Monday night's late night live. He interviewed Ian Dunt, who is an, a, a British journalist, political journalist, and Matthew Paris of the Times. <clears throat> but Matthew also used to be. Uh, he's a former British. Uh, conservative Tory uh, member of parliament and they were talking about how really you could have picked this 10 years ago that Boris was unfit for prime ministership. He has a great charismatic uh, aura about him. He's really good on his feet. He can talk his way out of a paper bag. Of course he's articulate. Years ago I saw him uh, at the Melbourne Writers Festival, he was brought out to speak about one of his books and it was the most enthralling hour at the Melbourne Town Hall that you've ever been a part of. But he cannot manage. But do you want him running your country? 
He Not post-COVID, no. So after two days of turmoil and more than 40 of his Tory colleagues handed in their resignation, they said, we just can't do this anymore. Food and petrol prices have been soaring. There's a recession that seems inevitable. Basically, Britain has had no government. Mm. Eventually, Boris was sort of forced out of, of the number 10 and um, fronted the media and said that he was resigning last Thursday. One observer described it as a Game of Thrones role-playing. <laughs> ministers taking sides, ministers lobbying, late-night shenanigans and, and up-and-down corridors at Westminster, everybody trying to work out who's who in the zoo. But essentially the thing that really it was the straw that broke the camel's back, of course, is this scandal which emerged involving the Deputy Chief Whip, Chris Pincher, who apparently... Boris Johnson said off years ago, pincher by name, pincher by nature. <laughs> uh, pincher scandal had passed me by, but it sounds just so typically oh, British, doesn't it? Groping, just, groping guests at a private dinner party. Yeah. I mean... Never admitted the allegations, but, you know, said to Boris in a Johnson, uh, Boris Johnson in a letter, last night I drank far too much and I embarrassed myself and other people. But Boris continued to allow him to stay in government despite knowing all of these allegations of sexual misconduct. And Boris Johnson requested of his cabinet ministers that if asked about this last week, that they would deny that the, the, the prime minister knew anything about it. And of course, that's when the rot settles, when you're asking your colleagues to lie, to lie. on your behalf and then you're, they're exposed the next day for lying. So he lost it. But don't you think, I also think just the English public was so outraged when they found out what the shenanigans that had gone down. Oh, Partygate. You know, yeah, Partygate. I mean, when they were just all at home doing nothing. I mean, like we were, we wouldn't have been happy if we'd heard Dan was whooping it up. <laughs> well, were, well, as we call her, Sue Gray, which always, like, why they call it the Sue Gray Report and not the Gray Report. I'm just, I'm, I remain perplexed about that. I can only imagine it's sexism. But the Sue Gray Report, 37 pages on bad behaviour, excessive alcohol consumption, drunkenness culture, red wine spilt on the wall of number 10. How does red wine get on the wall? I mean, maybe on the floor, but on the wall. Ask Donald Trump. Yeah. (laughs) But vomiting after pizza and karaoke sessions. And and as was pointed out, so many, when when Sue Gray released this damning report, the night of heavy drinking on the eve of Prince Philip's funeral seems to have been the one that really yeah. the public said enough is enough. I don't think you diss the Queen like that, No, do no, you? no. At so, all. So, look, speaking of the Queen, I mean, she's, she hasn't had the best of Jubilee years. I wonder, what, what are your thoughts about, about oh. her, where she's at at the moment and what she must be thinking about all of this terrible behaviour? Well, not only Boris, but, I mean, Andy. Oh, I yeah, mean, well, yes. I think that would be her biggest star. And the Sussexes. Sussexes, yes. Look, the only thing I did see when I was overseas, was there talk that the Sussexes had motored on down to Oprah's one Sunday afternoon for another tell-all chat? Oh, post. I didn't see that. No, look, it was on some dreadful site I was on. I tried to discuss it with Moggs Wilson. Who knows all things royal? She completely shut me down and said, Anna, you're wrong. But I'm sure I saw it on my phone. So be prepared. I, I think there could be some more post-Jubilee um, Oh, goodness. Well, Disgruntlement. Look, well, whatever's happening, Boris is on the way out, although interestingly, the way the Conservative Party works in the UK, it takes them forever to vote a new leader in. So they have to go through a series of... of um, they have to basically consult the entire party. But, but who, they had to, to who whittle do you it think? down. Well, there's... I mean, everybody is kind of saying um, it's, it's likely to be... Um, it could be Jeremy Hunt, who was the... The chap who he defeated for the um, Boris defeated for the in the last round for party leadership, Liz Truss, who is the uh, Foreign Affairs Minister, um, was, who's, who one of the one of the people on Philip Adams last night said she is completely crackers. Um, <laughs> there's a there's a whole there's a whole, there is a whole cast of them and. Um, and uh, my list has gone here. Who did we think? Um, oh, Rishi Sunak, who's the former Chancellor of the Exchequer. There is a feeling that he he is 
damaged goods since he's quite, he's very independently wealthy, but his wife has had some terrible issues with the tax department that was, that that resulted in his resignation. So we're not so sure whether Rishi Sunak has that. Um, it is a bit of a, it is a bit of a dim lot, I have to say. Bit of a motley crew from the sounds of it. It is, but don't worry about Boris because he has a book advance that he's been sitting on to write a book on Shakespeare, which I'm sure he'll get around to. And the word on the street is that he's probably going to get picked up again. Is it before he became PM? He was columnist for the Telegraph over there, earning three hundred thousand dollars a year. So, oh, that's um, well, I know, yeah, three hundred thousand Aussie, I think it was. And um, of course, there's the speaking tour. Never forget Bill Clinton. Oh. I'm sure he's on a pension for life. Well, I mean, apart from all that. And, I mean, father of two very small children, I think two. Oh, very father, small father of a few children, I know, Anna. But, but there's, <laughs> there's very little ones and the dog. He'll have plenty to occupy his time. He has two former wives and seven children. And... Um, and he's he's I mean he's had, had such a charmed life, Boris. He was the son of a diplomat. Diplomat. He went to Eton College and Oxford University, and then on to edit the Spectator. So it hasn't been such a tough time for him. So I'm sure he will pop up again. Have you seen his father? No. He looks exactly like Boris and the brother. That that it's just this weird cloned look. It's, Is it the hair? It's the hair. Dad looks exactly like Boris, but just a slightly older version. So that hair stays. He never loses the hair. That, that's, that thatch is there for life. Um, well, I feel that we're after speaking for about Boris. Do you remember when we were in Cornwall and the 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 front page the front page of those three days was the fight that he'd had with his then partner, and that's she said right. you do absolutely nothing around the house, and they were throwing red wine at one another. And did he break her computer? Yes, right. I think there he was a smashing a of the iPad, or and there was definitely red wine. He's obviously got um history. Got form of that red wine. Oh, I was thinking of that the other day, and we were just going, Can you imagine if this man ever rules the country? Well, look what happened. Mm. Anyway, um, that's it. That's Boris Johnson. Valet, farewell. And um, I think we need a drink now. Let's bring in Miles and the cocktail cabinet. And here comes Jane with the trolley. Miles is on top of it. And Miles, you have you are swinging those bottles. <laughs> More likely, you, you are swinging those bottles of red like there's no tomorrow. Absolutely. And of course, you're celebrating Bastille Day. Sure. So tell yeah, us what you've got. French. Well, uh, Anna didn't go to France on this trip, but um, mm. I think over the years you and I have enjoyed a few nice French reds. So what have you got for us? So I got I got a few. I got three. Um, I've, I've also just. As an aside, I pulled them out of the the. We do a tour de France. Uh, Mix doesn't in July too. Well, we haven't done it for a few years because obviously for I various tell you reasons. What, your and marketing this is kind of your, part of it too. Your so. marketing department at Prince Wine Store is pretty sharp. I am the marketing department. Um, so anyway, I thought that's a good. It's a good combo. Great. Um, so they're in the box, are they? They're in the box. Oh, so good. I'll put the box up there, um, right. and then I'll put the individual wines. So so the first one, I'll go from I'll go from lightest to sort of heaviest. First one is the uh, Stefan Aviron uh, Beaujolais Villages. So um, Beaujolais, everyone knows Beaujolais, Gamay. Yep. Um, so if you like Pinot, you're probably going to like Beaujolais. Beaujolais has a lovely sort of, you know, really like sp- a bit more spicier than sort of Pinot. It's got a lovely kind of really lifted sort of spice element, red fruit kind of thing. And this is villages, so it's a blend of several villages. So it's a little bit like Burgundy too. They have different villages that so are better than others or is. more. I've seen that on yeah. labels. I often wondered what that was. Yeah. So there's a bunch of villages around there. So you can get things from just specific villages, like you can get Morgan or Fleury. Um, and this is just a blend of sort of a number of different villages. And it could be different from different producers. But this is this guy, Stefan Averon, he's from a family of... Um, uh, I think they used to be, they used to sort of be um, like wine buyers, so they used to buy all the things. So he has access to lots of really awesome fruit. Um, this is one we've been bringing in for a while, so it's something that we import direct, but it's cracking value. So the, the Beaujolais Villages, so nice, spicy, juicy, red fruit, um, easy drinking, not a lot of oak on it. Sounds like delicious. Sounds like I might have some for lunch. Thanks yeah, very much. it is a good lunch wine because it's not yeah, very you know it's not very great. heavy, not a lot of tannin. You know, sounds like nice it'd be a beautiful colour too. Yeah, it's lovely, a bit lighter than again, well, similar colour to Pinot, but sometimes it pulls off a little bit lighter. So, yeah, so okay. you can start. You can start there for thirty three dollars. Thirty three for the Stefan Avignon. Yeah, okay. Um, and then we're going to go to we'll go to the Marcel Malbec. So it probably sits in the sort of middle here. So everyone's heard of Malbec. It's sort of been made famous by um, South America. 
particularly Argentina, where it's kind of their flagship varietal. But, you know, its home is in France and it's in that southwest part. And uh, this is the Marcel Malbec. This is like an entry level from a producer called um, uh, Chateau de Cedre. And this is their lovely sort of forward, really plush, lovely, sweet sort of dark fruit. Malbec often has this lovely kind of like mulberry fruit and kind of deep sort of spice, really nice, unoaked. So it's all about the kind of easy sort of fruit. And it's only like $19. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I thought I'd throw it in there. Good entry point. It's a great one. We often have it floor stacked. (laughs) We're we're big fans of this wine. It's really, really good. So the Marcel Malbec, what would you... What would you recommend if I was thinking about what Mm-mm. kind of um, protein to cook? What sort of dish would I be would be best be suited with this? Do you reckon? Yeah, I think you're probably sort of going to red meats or like game meats would be nice with it. I would have thought, like you know, if you, some, some some sort of poultry that's more on the gamey side, I think it would probably work quite well with. Um, it's got a bit of that kind of wild sort of thing going on. Ooh, yeah, definitely. Or it's casserole sort of. Or casserole. You know, I know it's so daggy, the word casserole, but you know what oh, I no, mean. It's coming back in. It's coming oh, we're back bringing it back. back. I'm bringing casserole yeah, back. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to say veal casserole, and I thought, oh, that's so 70s. But it doesn't matter that it's 70s. No. It's still good. <laughs> yeah, I think I grew up on casserole. So Same. It was such Same a staple. <laughs> My mum had an awesome... Array I'm of... sorry, I'm just laughing because I just have memories of just as kids going, oh, yuck, you know, you'd, you'd be eating a 70s casserole by my mother who was not a great cook and there'd, and there'd be pineapple in it for some reason. I was going to say like pork and pineapple. Yeah. That's and not got... a casserole. That's a Chinese <laughs> dish. And I th- now I think about it, it was canned pineapple, which mm. is even worse. What were we thinking? What, I mean, what were they thinking feeding that, this to us? But mum, my mum used to make like, you know, like chicken with... with um, you know, like dried apricots and yeah, things like that. Yeah, and I know it does. Chicken. And I know, and I know it does yeah. sound a bit daggy, but with like nuts and things, it was very. It was so good, though. Is this with your but dried maybe, French maybe, onion soup? Uh, you know, stuff. Oh, I mean, top. that's just pure MSG. That. That's yeah. just hollow raging <laughs> thirst. No, my mum never put. Uh, yeah. I reckon we should do a. No, well, mum was a we've terrible talked about cook. Seventy. And... We've talked about seventies dinner parties before, but. Um, and Kara always makes fun of my avocado chiffon pie, which is actually not half bad. But it sounds it. disgusting. I'm sorry, <laughs> absolutely disgusting. Don't serve it up to me. Uh, uh, oh, I'm going to I don't to want to now. see a picture. No, <laughs> no a, a, a beautiful pie. A woman's no, weekly picture. No, you no. know what it is? It's green. It's green. It so it's foul. beautiful, and it sits on on a, a Maori biscuit base. Mm. So it looks like a cheesecake. It's actually really lovely. Anna, and that's what, it's it. That's a challenge. It's savoury. No, it's sweet. It's sweetish. You put cream cheese and stuff with it. I, oh, I, no, you know it, it all just – that. see, that's two seventies. Miles, I'm sure your mother was a great cook, way better she than Corrie's and mine. <laughs> so, anyway, on to the – yeah. back, back on topic, um, tell us about your um, the third red in the box that so you're recommending. The, so the third one's from the Northern Road. It's from a producer called Yves Couleron, and he's – maybe a little more famous for his whites, but he makes fantastic reds as well. And he's based up in sort of Condria, which is the northern sort of white producing part of the northern Rhone. But this is, he makes a lot of different wines. This is his, again, his entry level as far as his wines are concerned, northern Rhone Syrah. So more of that mid-weight style Syrah with that like black fruit, that kind of peppercorn and sort of, you know, like sweet baking spice kind of thing. Nice medium bodied, but lovely sort of nice texture, nice little bit of tannin and bite on it. Um, fantastic little kind of like vanilla essence kind of thing I going love on. Syrah. It's, really, it's a really sort of silky style Syrah. One too. of your keen customers, my friend Carrillo, mm-hmm. he, his winery specialises in Syrah. Where's so that? rather lovely every time you see him for a, some sort of catch up, there's always a nice bottle of wine handed over to you. I'm Excellent. mad about it. It's just yeah. beautiful. Have you ever had Syrah? No. And what do you? What would you pair Syrah with, food wise? I mean, you oh, know, I mean, meat, anything, probably yeah. meat. Yeah, yeah. But you know, from from the northern Rhone, you know, it's probably not as maybe big and bold as the the sort of Aussie Shirazes that you're yep. sort of used to here. So you Knock can probably dial it back a little bit yeah. as far as what sort of food you're going to put it with. But yeah, I think any sort of red meats is going to work pretty well. Okay. And again, any sort of like game sort of food, anything that's got a bit of bit of oomph to it as far as you know, meat's concerned, it's going to do really well with. And how much is my Syrah costing? I think that's 33 as well. Okay, so Miles's Tour de France box, there are 12 all different ones in there. Yeah, whites and reds. Oh, whites as well. Whites, reds, cider. Oh, I Belgium oh, really? beer. Yeah, because the tour goes up through Normandy. 
it goes out to it's really interesting. It goes Doesn't through. Doesn't it start in Copenhagen? Yeah, no, so Copenhagen yeah. this year, yeah. it always does something in Belgium. So we usually include a Belgian beer. So we've got Belgian beer. We've got stuff from Savoie in the sort of Fantastic. southeast there near the Alps, down in the southwest, some Rhone. Uh, right, you know, um, so the Malbec is from, from around Kaol, which is kind of in the sort of middle of the southwest there. So And so how much is the, is Miles Thompson's Tour de France box? So, so it's two sixty five. Gosh, Miles. I know. Are there 12 bottles of things 12 in there? 12 bottles. Gee. Cider, Belgian beer. Is this because you're, you've sparkling. taken over the marketing department and you just want I'm to just, make sure that I'm you... I'm just good at what I do. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly. They're, 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 I'm not going there. Uh, so the Prince Wine Store Tour de France box is $265, but if you would like to buy just the three that Miles has spoken about today, the Beaujolais Village is nine. It's $33. The Marcel Melbeck is $19 a bottle and the Northern Rhone uh, read by uh, the Syrah by Yves Couleron is $33. And how do we acquire all of these magnificent wines? So if you go to the website, which is www.princewinestore.com.au, um, you'll see on the front page there's a, there's a little link to Don't Shoot the Messenger and we have a list of all the wines there that we've talked about. And then temp, uh, M-E-S-S is the code you put in at the at the cart and you get 10% off. Not, do, for, the, not for the dozen, unfortunately. Sorry. Not for but, the dozen. But for That's the individual still a good wines, price. yeah, we've already... It's still a really good it's price 20% for the off for that, Tour de so. France. And then if you have a little pop-up box that says, would you rate Miles Thompson for his performance <laughs> on Don't Shoot the Messenger, <laughs> remember to click the five stars because it will make Miles feel a lot better and he may get a pay rise That would as be well. great. Miles, thanks very much for coming in to visit us today. Thank you. And happy Bastille Day, everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Okay, so now we're on to book, screen and food, BSF, and uh, with our red wine in our hand, Anna, <laughs> you're going to kick it off with a couple of book recommendations. I am, Corrie. Look, my first book is called Fall by the English journo John Preston, and it examines the extraordinary life and death of Robert Maxwell, Britain's most notorious uh, media baron. And in this, it's an entertaining account by the author of A Very English Scandal. Remember that book about Jeremy Thorpe, which Hugh Grant did the uh, miniseries, which was brilliant. Anyway, Fall details Maxwell's life from dashing war hero who received the military cross to a bloated cigar-chomping 22-stone fraudster. Um, Preston examines Maxwell's fall from grace from billionaire transatlantic publisher, former Labor MP and friend to the rich and powerful, as well as his physical fall from the Lady Ghislaine, if I've said that correctly, which found him floating naked and dead off the Canary Islands. And always remember that. It was just such a shock, don't it you? Was, and it was rumoured that it was suicide. Well, in the book, is it suicide? Is it murder? Ah. Is it just foul oh, play murder. or an accident? Yes, no. Honestly, it's a really good read. I did buy it at the airport, but it is absolutely gripping. And also, he talks a lot about Rupert Murdoch, who was um, Maxwell's greatest rival. So all that is really interesting about the Aussie in the UK taking over the media landscape. So it's actually a great read. Good photos. It's really good. So well, that... there was a rumour uh, back in the late 80s that Robert Maxwell was going to buy The Age in Melbourne. Really? Yes. So we were working there at the time. We were all a little nervous about that idea. Uh, that sounds great. And I must say the, the book on um, the uh, very English scandal. Yeah. A very English yeah, or very, very British. British. Yes, because uh, there's a film it's that's It's a very, very English scandal. Yeah. And he, uh, John Preston also wrote the book. Did you um, guys see during lockdown, there was a film called The Dig with Naomi oh. Watts about... So good, archaeological. Yes. Well, he wrote the book. It's a no, true not, story. Not, a, not Naomi Watts, Carrie... Um, oh, sorry, Carrie Mulligan. Yeah, Carrie sorry, Mulligan. Sorry, Ron. Yeah. And, and, and Ralph, Ralph Fiennes. Ralph Fiennes. Yeah. And someone else was in it. And remember the... The, but the boy. Oh. Yes, yeah. So anyway, he also wrote the book for that. So not only is he a great journo, he's also a good author. So it's got lots of saucy, spicy little tales in it. You are chuckling. Like he's talking about Maxwell stealing the wine from, you know, Parliament. No, it's really, it's actually a really good read. So that's The Fall by John Preston. And what's the second book? And my second book is 
believe it or not, a mythological story, The Song of Achilles oh, by American author the mood, <laughs> Madeline Miller. This is not just for people who like mythology. It's a captivating retelling of hero Achilles's uh, life and the events leading up to the Iliad by his best friend and lover, Patroclus. And Miller brings the story of Achilles to life with all its complications of being of Achilles being part man, part mythological god. So it's actually a ripping yarn and a great love story. Oh, it so, sounds great. No, it's really good. It's really interesting. So is now Madeline Miller won the uh, Women's Prize for Fiction a couple of years ago. Was it for this book? I I'll have to have a little look on uh, my yeah, Winner of the Orange Prize. Yeah, that's She's the Women's also Prize, written, yeah. Um, well, maybe it was. This is, I mean, it's a couple of years old. She's just released another one. I think it might be about the magician Cirque. Well, she, she's a um, she's a, a really, really respected writer too. Yeah, no, she, it's, it's, it's a really great retelling of an old myth. And, you know, she has you from hello. Like, it's the song, really good. The Song of Achilles sounds great. So, uh, Screen Anna, I have been watching and I have binged the fourth, and they're saying the final, series of Borgen. Did you ever get into Borgen? Obsessed with Borgen. Okay. Absolute, obsessed with all the characters. Great. Well, you're going to really love this. Um, it's titled Borgen, Power and Glory, and it's on Netflix. So it's a bit hard to find. I'm just giving everybody the tip because when you tap Borgen into your system, all of the other three series, the previous three series come up. So just make sure you get onto Power and Glory. It's... It's been a long time between between series three and series four. Has indeed. I Anna. hope they give you a bit of a recap because I'm a bit hazy on some of them. Well, interestingly, where she's at. And... It, well, interestingly, they don't. But it comes back. It, it's mm. it's okay because the continuing themes. It's only really the big themes. So, Borgen first um, premiered in, on Danish television in 2010. I reckon it came to Australia in about 2015, maybe 2016, and then we went boom, 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 boom and mm. saw the three series. And it's the story of, at the time, um, a Begit Nyborg, who is an up-and-coming politician who, in the first episode of Series 1, finds herself unexpectedly the Prime Minister because of these. The, 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 there's a coalition that has to be formed after the election and she finds herself the PM. And um, the first couple of series, it's, it's really about um, her in that position of power, being a woman, a mother, wife, mother of two young children and how she goes about it. The third series... Um, she, the party's tossed out of power. Um, she's become disconnected with their views and their policies and decides to form her own party. So we go through series three and she's the leader of her own party. Series four starts 10 years later and they keep referring to what's happened in the 10 years, you know, what a long time in politics sort of thing. But she is now part of a coalition government. She is the foreign minister. And the PM is a woman from from one of the other parties who you'll know who you'll recognise her face. But um, but but clearly, Begita is the you know the real the glue, and she's the charismatic one. Well, this is all about her desire and lust for power. This is a very different Begita to the one we it, knew. It doesn't sound like the. Um we knew. Well, this is she a, was this, more a mother and yes. worrying what was happening with the husband. And... Well, this is a woman in her fifties who is now divorced. Her two children are adults. She's living at home alone and her job is everything. And she wants to hold on to it. Now, this is quite a familiar story, I think, for a lot of women of this of this particular age group. You're reaching the top of the tree. You're looking at the kind of the collateral damage or what was my life? What was it all about? And where's it heading? And where's it heading? Mm. Now, there's some very interesting power plays and so on. She's particularly harsh on some of her female colleagues, which I think is so true which often. Is totally, yeah. Women can, totally. women can be so mean to other women. <laughs> and not, not amusingly for the women who watch this show, but because she is, she's really having a bad menopause, there are lots of scenes with the 50-something something Begita sponging her face, dashing into the bathroom to stand under the dryer. Taking the cardigan on, yeah, off, on, She, she has off. about six silk shirts in her private wardrobe in the office, which she's constantly changing in and out of. Anybody who's had a difficult menopause will be completely understanding of this. And also the temper 
um, surges that come with that and how you control that. And all I could keep thinking of was how did um, Angela Merkel and Madeleine Albright and all of those women who were in positions of power and authority in their 50s on the world stage, how did they do it? <laughs> um, one character, um, uh, Sidsy Babette Knudsen plays Birgit Nor- uh, Nyborg and plays her again just so beautifully and superbly. One character I was really rapt to see back is remember Katrine, the former reporter? Um, was she on with the um, handsome? Yes, yes, yes and yeah. then they separated. I loved all those other stories. Yes, yeah, so yeah. so there's a there's a there's a dual, there's a dual story here. So she, she so she's now in a happy relationship. Her kids are also growing up, um, and she's offered the job. Or she's she's gone from being um, Begita's political advisor back to the newsroom, and she gets the job of being head of news. So how does she combine that with her young family? I loved right. all that whole newsroom story. No, it was a really fabulous it's series. Great. I'm definitely going to highly be recommend. It out. Highly yeah. recommend that. And so my food recipe, while you're binging on Borgen, you can binge on <laughs> Neil Perry's absolutely delicious dish I have for you today. When we were in Ballarat, um, the Francesca told me that the kids love wraps. It's a really good way to get the vegetables into them. So we were doing chicken and lamb and fish and and putting it out, everything on display your iceberg lettuce for $300 a pop, Mm. um, your avocado, tomato, and and they would make their own wraps. And I thought, well, this is actually a really good way to get kids to make their own dinner. And, you know, so it worked really well. Anyway, we've become a bit wrap obsessed now at home. And the other night we just barbecued some chicken and I picked up this recipe book of Neil Perry's. And I did say to you and Jane before we went on air, it does look a little grey and grim when you cook it. It's a bit gruelly, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> but this is the most delicious dish, chickpea and green lentil curry with spinach. So obviously you can eat it on your own, on its own as a, as a beautiful Sunday night curry, vegetarian curry. But to have it actually in the wrap with the chicken yeah. and a bit of yogurt on top was great. So Jane will put the recipe on the notes with thanks to Neil Perry and thank you to the Ballarat Bookshop where I discovered this cookbook. It came out last year, passed me by, Neil Perry's Everything I Love to Cook. Have you seen this cookbook? No, and by the size of it, it's every recipe he's ever um, devised. It absolutely is. And and it, I particularly love it because we're such pasta fans in our family. There are something like 52 pages of pasta recipes. It's it's just everything that Neil's cooked and loved and cooks at home. So and he's a, a fabulous um, chef. He's I mean. fabulous. But often people think, oh, Neil Perry, a bit too tricky. He's a mm. restaurateur. You know, he's a, he's a professional chef. This is the stuff that you cook at home. So this recipe is great. It has green lentils, turmeric, of course, great at this time of year with coughs and colds, uh, English spinach, um, all your sort of usual herbs, sea salt, chilli powder, ground cumin seeds, chickpeas and two long green chilies, which are really um, at the heart of this. Give it its oomph. And, of course, Greek yogurt and a whole lot of lime juice. So we'll have the recipe and that is it. And it's absolutely delicious and highly recommend the cookbook, Everything I Love to Cook. Now, Anna, how can you be grumpy? Look, how can you be grumpy? I know. That's exactly what my sister Julie said. But I am grumpy and I'm grumpy as question. And you might have covered this in other podcasts, but what the hell has happened to the price and availability of green vegetables in Melbourne? I've come home since I've been away. I've come home. Manky lettuces were $6.50 at Woolies, according to my husband. Bargain. There were no lettuces. He does Woolies. I do Coles. There were no lettuces at Coles. The entire lettuce tray bear. So first of all, I go, where are the lettuces? Then apparently the Hawksburn crew are up in arms over the price of green beans at Toscano's. It's actually <laughs> been even referred to as... Oh, no! Yes, as Beangate by a well-known local um, local Hawksburnite. Apparently there are no green beans, nor could I find any silver beet or Chinese broccoli at the South Melbourne market. Like, there's every other coloured vegetable... What's happened to green vegetables and why the hell are they so expensive when you do find them? I'm grumpy and I don't even know the answer. I think we should go to Jane's veggie patch and just raid it. I just can't help, Anna, though, but just think that we have no idea in our little Melbourne bubble what is happening to the farmers and the producers around New South Wales especially. I mean, if they can even get a tractor in to pick the stuff, 
But why is it? I, no, it's Jane, floods and chaos. No, I know there's <laughs> floods. I know they've had to replough, you know, whole seasons crops back into the earth. But it just, I mean, I can buy a carrot, I can buy a pumpkin, but I can't buy broccoli or a lettuce. It just seems weird that it's green. And you know when you've been away and you think, I've probably got scurvy. I need to get <laughs> off the lady petrol and get onto some nice healthy food. I can't even find a zucchini to... Well, you know, grill. It's it's actually not the season to be eating zucchini, lettuce, or any salad veggies. Um, which oh come look, on, what about broccoli, spinach? I'm well, sorry, no, broccoli probably a bit different, but yeah, I'm just basically go cabbage all the way. You can still get an organic cabbage for five bucks at the farmers markets. Hasn't changed price in like eight years. Yeah, no surprises there. There's no demand for your stinky old cabbage. Anyway, that look, I'm grumpy about that. I'm probably an, it's probably an ignorant grumpy, but I am grumpy nevertheless. Oh, there have been significant news stories on the on the price Has of there? fruit and veg or price and of vegetables. The price. Yeah. And also they're having, they're having for lettuce. there's a labour shortage too. There there just aren't enough people uh, picking and, and um Yes, Jane. I was gonna say, Corrie, on your um, flabbergasted about the price of ginger. Aldi have Australian ginger for 20 bucks a kilo. So you just went to the wrong shop in Ballarat. I went to the wrong shop. <laughs> do I they did. have Aldi in Ballarat and the rat? Oh, they would, I'm yes. sure. I just didn't yeah. go there. I love Aldi. Yeah, well, you know, we'll all just go there. I wonder if they have green beans. Bean gate. Bean gate. Bean gate in Hawksburn. That's what happens Ooh. in Hawksburn. I mean, I'm not a Hawksburnite, but apparently it's been an absolute storm in a D cup. Scandal. Up there Scandal. Um, okay, so on to six quick questions. And Anna, I'll kick it off by asking. Asking you, what is your favourite Wimbledon memory? Oh, look, amongst so many magical Wimbledon memories, I just thought when Ash Barty walked out onto centre court in Yvonne Goolagong Hawley's, you know, the imitation of her scalloped. Remember, she came out with the scalloped head hemline. And do you remember, I was researching it. Remember Ted Tingling? Yes, I do. Tennis outfit designer. Well, anyway, apparently Ted had designed Yvonne's dress. In 1971, when Ash walked out in that outfit and, and it was brought to our attention, I don't know about you, I completely sobbed. And apparently now the outfit's in the National Museum of Australia. She's donated it. So that is probably at the moment one of my most recent favourite memories. There was a lovely interview with Yvonne Goolagong on uh, David Wenham's new interview show, which you would have missed. You wouldn't have seen that. Oh, it's I've just premiered so on much. ABC. It was a very, very good interview. You'll be able to see I it on ABC iView. Um, Corrie, I'm actually going to ask you, what's your favourite Wimbledon moment of 2022? Oh, definitely Matthew Ebden and Max Purcell winning the men's doubles. It was brilliant and only surpassed by their wonderful and warm and humble press conference afterwards. Uh, you know, we're, we're following on from the Woodies, the Supermax. We do seem to dominate this, uh, although it's been a long time between drinks this time around. But um, when they ask, ask Purcell how did he feel and, and, and everything, and he said, my father once told me when he was watching television, you watch guys with grand slams. And he says, no, it's disrespectful to fall on your back if you win a grand slam. You should shake your opponent's hands first. And Purcell said that was spoken by a guy who's never won a Grand Slam. <laughs> <laughs> and they both said when you when you win a Grand Slam, of course you fall on the on yeah. your back and the grass feels great. Yeah. And he said, I just did that. I kind of rolled over and I looked at Matt and he was also on the ground. I loved the yeah. way they both just completely yeah. felt. They were in shock. And, and also that was a sort of come from behind win in yes. terms of you never really expect them to make the final because I thought they were going to be out in the semis. So... Very exciting. Now, I feel this question to you is actually a bit of research on your part. You're wanting potties to feed in. What do you give an 85-year-old on her birthday? Well, I, because my mother is turning 85 at the end of the month, I thought, what do you give someone really at 85 who needs nothing, you know, who's got all the things she needs? And she is an avid gardener, and this isn't a plug, but I thought I thought of the perfect book for her. And it's a book by the landscape designer Fiona Brockoff. It's her new book, hot off the press, called um, With Nature, Landscapes of Fiona Brockoff. And I love her work. I think just extraordinary. So from small spaces to coastal gardens to rural properties, I think we get to review all of Fiona's work. So I thought there's the present for the 85-year-old and I'll be able to borrow it. Well, I'm so glad that you mentioned that, Anna. Oh, you and I haven't uh, talked about this, but I'm doing about four events around oh. Victoria with Fiona. Are you doing – there's something we're, in We're Mornington. doing a little tour. Well, no, we're not doing not, Mornington together. Saw... We're doing we're doing 
one in Sorrento and one in Geelong. Oh. And then we're going up to the Western District. So we're going to Hamilton and then probably a session in Ballarat. Fantastic. We're just trying I'm, to find a venue. We might have to do it in Francesca's living room at that moment. <laughs> but, I just um, think the book looks fabulous. And I thought, looks beautiful. you know, a retrospective on her work, so, it's just so apt. Well, that's a lovely gift for yeah. your mum. Well, so, I hope she doesn't, I hope your mum doesn't listen because now you've spoiled the surprise. As if she listens, she can't even text. <laughs> There's no way she'd be listening to a podcast. But no, so I'm very happy with that idea. Now, Corrie, which famous rock star well, sorry, which famous rock hit does not deserve to be used in a local TV advert? And there must be billions, but which one do you think? Well, it just popped up while I was watching the Channel 7 News the other night. You know Matt Scully, the furniture um, showroom? I think they're in no, Richmond. Nick, not Nick Scully. Oh, Nick. Did, what did I say? Matt. Sorry, Nick Scully. Nick, where they yeah, have Nick. those sofas yeah. that the bit comes out at the end. And you think, what's that about? The Nick Scully, sorry, yeah. ad. They played Joe Cocker's Feeling All Right which Jane will now play on cue. That great rock song. Oh, there's so many songs have been bastardised by it. That great rock song. Was it 1966 or 1976 or 77 when I went and saw Joe Cocker at the Palais? I was about 15 or 16 years of age. One of the best concerts I've ever been to. Anyway, I found that absolutely appalling. Anna, what is the (laughs) queen of winter flowers? Um, Do you know what? For mine, the queen of winter flowers is the fabulously attractive evergreen shrub, the camellia. And since I've come home, I should have said it in the beginning, since I've been back to Melbourne, the camellia has been out on steroids. It's just everywhere and I absolutely love it. And don't you think when your garden offers nothing... You go out and there's the camellia. Yeah, there Beautiful she is. colours. The green grossy leaf. She's like, and look it, at me, look yeah, at me. She's a good hedge. I don't know. I love my camellia. Yeah, it's a I good love picking camellia. plant in the bathroom by your bed. So I'm just saying she is the queen of winter flowers. Fiona Brockoff may disagree with me, but for me, she's the queen. I agree. And there are lots in the beautiful Ballarat Gardens too. I bet you the there are. They're gardens. beautiful. Now, Corrie, what's this week's amazing fact? Okay, well, there are a couple of amazing facts, Anna, and they're related to Bastille Day, and I'm not sure whether you or Jane know any of these things. The day in France, they don't say, oh, happy Bastille Day. They say, happy la fête nationale. Oh, I was going to do an Italian ac- accent. Nas- national. No, that's Italian. Mm-hmm. Na- national. That would be French, wouldn't it? Oh, I'm wanting to go nationale. Anyway, <laughs> the national holiday. They say, happy national holiday. On July the 14th, 1789, Parisian revolutionaries stormed the Bastille Fortress where Louis XVI had imprisoned many of his enemies, or at least that's what they thought, that's what the revolutionaries thought. When they actually arrived there and broke into the Bastille, there were only seven captives. (laughs) Did you know that? No, it's a bogus national day. And apparently they were in... Then you've exposed Bastille Day for what it really is. And apparently they were in pretty good health. (laughs) (laughs) Or just twiddling their thumbs. What you imagine hundreds of people in chains. Coming up from Place de la Concorde and marching (laughs) up there singing Marseillaise or whatever they did with their guns and their bows and arrows. (laughs) And and they've walked in there. I've expected like hundreds of wretched, (laughs) in chains. Imprisoned. (laughs) Eating rats, you know. No, Seven just going, oh, hi, what are you doing? Um, apparently the Marquis de Sade was almost among the Seven. So, of course, he's the aristocrat, very naughty person. He was imprisoned on rape and sodomy charges and then later wrote all those wild sex novels. But he would certainly have been freed by the Bastille mob had he been there. But a few days earlier... Um, in what he thought was a smart move to be moved somewhere else, he started yelling at passers-by out the window, yelling at them that he was <laughs> that, that he was begging to be freed, and this was a terrible government. and And the authorities just got so sick of him yelling and screaming, they transferred him to a, an insane asylum outside Paris. Only a couple of days before the rebels stormed, so he could have actually got out in the end. So it was a bad career move. And the <laughs> final fact that I wanted to share with you is it took, of course, there was the French Revolution in between, but it took 91 years for Bastille Day to become a national holiday. That's interesting. 
Isn't that so, interesting? Yeah, nearly a century. Aren't you interested by the fact there are only seven of them in there? I, I think you've exposed Bastille Day. I don't know. I'm, I don't know what I'm going to be doing on Thursday. I don't think I'm going to be Bastilling anyway. Well, we can enjoy Miles's uh, red wines. Yes. Um, I love that idea, don't you, of the Tour de France box? That's so, fabulous. Um, and that's a big thank you to Miles and, of course, to our uh, co-sponsors, Prince Wine Store, and our other sponsors, our podcast sponsors, Red Energy, 100% Australian Electricity and Gas. We love you guys. Thanks so much for staying with us. To our potties, we love you too. And don't forget that if you'd like to chat with us, you can connect with us via Instagram, which is Don't Shoot Pod, or Facebook, or Twitter. And if you'd like the show notes delivered into your inbox each week, just as a reminder that we're here, just hit the sign up button on Facebook or in the show, note, show notes, or you can send Jane an email and we will subscribe you. The email, of course, is feedback at don't shoot pod. Dot com dot au. Thank you, Jane, for wonderful producing. And Anna, it was so lovely to have you back in the studio. Thank you for having me. And I think that we have to send Caro and her beautiful daughter, Rose and Oscar, all the best for a happy, happy wedding day. It's going to be so exciting. I know. I wonder if we can we can zoom in. What will probably be about two in the morning here or something. I know. I, I said, is there any live stream? And Caro just looked at me absolutely <laughs> horrified. She wouldn't know what that was. No. <laughs> I just said, send me a pic of you and your mother of bride, uh, mother of Yes, bride outfit oh, and the bride. While you were away, there was a lot of workshopping on that, particularly the shoes. But anyway, I'm sure it'll be fun and she'll look great. And Rose and Oscar and Little Sunday will have a wonderful day. So have lots of love to them and a great to see you. And what do we say? Don't shoot the messenger. This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Call 131 806 for real Aussie energy. And Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world.